Our uh, scripture reading this evening comes from the Gospel of Matthew, so I invite you to turn, uh, turn with me there to uh, Matthew chapter 5. We'll be reading verses 27 uh, through 32, Matthew 5, uh, verses 27 through 32. Last time, uh, we saw that uh, with regard to the sixth commandment, uh, as Jesus uh, preaches it for us, that God is much more holy uh, than we think. We are more sinful uh, than we believe. We also saw there that uh, instead of uh, pursuing a life rooted in anger and being peace breakers, uh, God has called us to be peacemakers with hearts uh, pursuing uh, reconciliation uh, with one another. And uh, the wonderful thing, of course, about all these, uh, these commandments that the Lord Jesus is going to uh, preach for us, in all of them, we're going to see, of course, that um, these commandments involve the heart uh, and not merely the outward act. And so it is, of course, with the seventh commandment uh, to which Jesus now turns. And so Matthew 5, uh, beginning of verse 27, we'll read through to verse 32. This is the word of the Lord. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, for it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman uh, commits adultery. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together uh, for his help. Heavenly Father, we thank you again that uh, as we have just uh, sung together that you are the one who, who searches us, uh, who searches our heart, who uh, searches our, our thoughts. Uh, everything external about us can be seen by everyone around us in the building tonight. But Lord, only you can search the heart. Uh, only you uh, know our, our thoughts uh, and our inmost desires and, and longings. And so, Lord, we, we also know that only you can make those longings and desires and thoughts into the thoughts and longings and desires that are pleasing to you and that to run after you. And so, Lord, we pray that tonight as we consider again your will for us, as taught by the Lord Jesus, that you would, you would work in our hearts and in our thoughts, uh, Lord, that we would not simply be external Christians on the outside only, uh, but that your word would penetrate within us, that we might know your will, that we might see our sin, and that way we might see the wonder and glory of our Savior, the Lord Jesus, ever clearer, uh, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, this past week, we, uh, on Monday night, we had opportunity to celebrate the, uh, the Reformation together uh, on uh, Reformation Day. 
Um, and I, you know, I wonder if you've ever uh, wondered uh, what life was like then, or um, you know, what these men at the Reformation really believed. You know, there's lots of denominations, of course, that claim to be uh, descendants of the reformers of a Calvin or a Luther, and many will say, well, uh, you know, the reformers believe this, or John Calvin taught this, or if Luther were here, uh, this is what he would say about this, that, uh, or uh, the other thing. And wouldn't it be great if, uh, if uh, we could have maybe John Calvin or Martin Luther uh, time travel to be here now? And, um, and we could pose to Mr. Calvin or Mr. Luther things that are being said about them. And, uh, and then they might respond to us something like this. Well, you have heard that it was said about Calvinism, but let me tell you, says John Calvin, what it really is. Or Luther, you, you've heard that it is said, Luther believed this, uh, but I say to you, uh, something perhaps different. I think that, maybe you don't think that would be great, but I think that would be kind of helpful. Um, but of course, we don't have that. Uh, we, have, we have their, their writings. Uh, but when it comes to the Word of God, and when it comes to uh, the law of God, we are in that portion of Scripture where we wonderfully uh, have the Lord Jesus himself uh, coming to his people and saying that, uh, that you have heard lots of things about God's will for your life. You've heard lots of things about the law. You've heard it interpreted in different, in different ways. But I'm going to uh, explain to you exactly uh, what it is all about. And so the first thing we want to do tonight is, is note a point that we did not dwell on in the last passage, but is vital uh, to the whole Sermon on the Mount. It reappears constantly, uh, and it is tremendously helpful for us uh, in understanding these things, considering and seeking to understand the full meaning and heart of the law of God. And that is a repeated phrase that we're going to find in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, the repeated use of the first person pronoun, I... Uh, and its reference to Jesus, uh, and specifically uh, a reference to the authoritative speech uh, and word of Jesus. Because the first thing we want to remember tonight as we enter this passage as well, uh, that the law of God can only be properly understood in the light of Jesus. Whether it's uh, a commandment on murder, commandment on adultery, commandment on coveting, uh, no matter what uh, law we find in Scripture, we can only truly ever understand it in the light of Jesus. How do we know that? Uh, well, because it starts really back in verse 18 of this chapter, where Jesus starts to invoke uh, this uh, first person uh, pronoun. Truly, he says, verse 18, I say to you. Verse 20, for I tell you. Verse uh, 22, we came across it earlier last week. But I say to you, uh, and then we saw it in verse 28 tonight, but I say to you, verse 32, but I say to you, later we will see it in verse 34, but I say to you, verse 39, we'll see it again, but I say to you, verse 44, we'll see it one more time, but I say to you. Now, this is very important, of course, because remember, Jesus is not uh, contrasting himself with the Old Testament. He told us in verse 17, I haven't come to abolish the law of the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Nothing's going to pass away from the law until all is accomplished. So he's not setting himself in opposition to the Old Testament or God's law. But this is Jesus 
uh, versus the, the faulty interpretation and the faulty understanding uh, of the law of God, which was common uh, in, his, in his day. Uh, but notice, Jesus is claiming, this is important for us, Jesus is claiming authority here to interpret and speak uh, God's law. Jesus himself is claiming that if you want to truly know how to understand the law of God, how to interpret the law of God, or apply the law of God, or get to the heart of the law of God, Jesus himself must be our interpreter. You cannot uh, understand uh, God's will for your life apart from uh, Jesus, we could say. This past week in our uh, Wednesday Bible study, uh, we were reminded about how the Old Testament speaks about Jesus as the coming prophet who will speak God's word. And so Deuteronomy 18, verse 15, goes like this. The Lord speaking to his people. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet, or Moses speaking. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him, to him you shall listen. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb, On the day of the assembly, when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, or see this great fire anymore, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, Moses says, they're right in what they've spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth. He shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it. Of him, and we were looking this past week at how uh, the book of Hebrews speaks about Jesus as the uh, the one who is uh, greater than Moses. He is a greater prophet. But the Bible nonetheless tells us that when Jesus comes, he will speak the words of God, and his people uh, will listen to him. He speaks authoritatively. You have heard that it was said, but I say to you, the fact is, you and I hear a lot of things. We hear a lot of things from our parents. We hear a lot of things from our family. Uh, We hear a lot of things uh, from the pastor. We hear a lot of things uh, maybe in school. We hear a lot of things from our teachers. We hear a lot of things in media. We hear a lot of things from society. We hear a lot of things from celebrities and heroes and news and politicians. And we hear a lot about the Bible and about God and about spirituality and about religion and and about the Christian life. So simply this first thing, again, to remind us. We need to let this this, uh, sink in. The only voice... Uh, we should be turning to, and the only word we should be hanging on as our absolute authoritative word for understanding this word is his, right? Is Jesus. You have heard, doesn't matter what you've heard, but I say to you. And so we need as believers to let that sink in, that when Jesus speaks, he speaks with authority. Everything in the light of Jesus, whether it's murder, adultery, theft, whatever, right? It's what characterizes the sheep that belong to the shepherd. He speaks and they hear his voice. The law can only be understood in the light of Jesus. That's the first, simple first thing. Um, and uh, I don't know if you've ever, you know, I don't know if you've ever had a really dirty shirt or something like that. And uh, you had a really dirty shirt, but as long as you stood kind of in the darkness, right? Or if maybe you stood sideways or, um, you know, no one's going to notice, um, well, think about, think about your dirty shirt and think about that uh, uh, you really can only see it properly in the light, right? When the light comes, all of a sudden, all the stains uh, on your shirt are seen. Um, 
Jesus comes and, and everything is laid bare uh, for what it is, and especially with regard to the heart of the law of God. So that's simply the first thing. Jesus speaks authoritatively uh, and interprets the law for us. Now, specifically with regard to the seventh commandment, uh, you shall not commit adultery. Uh, adultery, we find out from the Lord Jesus, is committed uh, in the heart uh, before it is ever committed externally. Uh, but we also find out in this passage that there are uh, accessories to this sin. Uh, that is, there are, uh, there are things that lead to this sin. Uh, there are things that um, uh, are alongside this sin, and, um, and we need to deal with those. We notice this in these verses. If your right eye, says Jesus, verse 29, causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, for it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. The verse before, he had told us, I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her uh, in his heart. There are, according to the Bible, accessories uh, to sin. Uh, Accessory uh, in criminal law is a person who becomes equally guilty in the crime of another by knowingly and voluntarily aiding the criminal before or after the crime. That is an accessory or an accessory. Um, An accessory is one kind of accomplice, the other being an abettor who aids the criminal during the act itself. So you've got uh, got accomplices to a crime, um, you've got accessories to a crime, and you've got abettors of the crime. So here's an example to help us understand this a little better. Johnny... Uh, Johnny plans to steal a cookie from the pantry. Uh, He's too short to reach the shelf. Susie knows where the step stool is and places it in the pantry before the crime. Tommy also wants a cookie, uh, so he holds the stool steady while Johnny takes the cookies. The front door opens. Mom is home, coming to the kitchen, so seeing their dilemma, Patty offers to hide the cookies under her pillow. So you've got Johnny, the criminal, and three accomplices, but they are all guilty. Tommy is the abettor because he's there during the crime holding the ladder, stepladder. Susie is an accessory before the fact. That is, she provided the stepladder for the crime. And Patty is an accessory after the fact. Uh, That is, she uh, helps hide the crime after it's been committed. But all have sinned in mom's eyes when the truth comes out. Um, There are accessories, the Bible says, to sin. The accessories in this passage are eyes and hands. Verse 28 says this, But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. The word lustful intent is the Greek word epithumeo. It means to fix the desire on, to set the heart upon, uh, to long for earnestly, uh, to look on another with that kind of longing, says Jesus, is to already have committed adultery in your heart. Now remember the context here is the seventh commandment. Adultery is unfaithfulness. Um, we think of unfaithfulness in marriage. But remember, in the Bible, uh, the Lord also talks often to his people about a spiritual adultery. 
right? Where we are, you know, we're united to, to the Lord. We are his uh, people. We're committed to him. He is committed to us. But you'll know, for instance, from the book of Hosea, uh, that the Bible talks about a, a spiritual adultery and unfaithfulness of God's people to him. They go after, they go longing, the Bible says, for other gods, right? That's what that is. So the, at the heart, Jesus is saying here, uh, is this longing, um, but it's a sinful longing, because it's breaking our, our commitment to the one Lord uh, to whom we are committed. And likewise, in, in marriage, uh, committing adultery is that longing for that which should not be longed after. Now, here's the thing. It's not looking or seeing that is itself sinful here, according to Jesus. I say to you, everyone looks at a woman with lustful intent, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. It is not the, uh, it is not the, the look itself uh, that is sinful, but it's the look with lustful intent. Uh, if it were just looking at a woman, or in a woman's case, looking at a man, or in either case, if just looking was sinful, all of us would be doomed. Uh, because there are times when uh, you know you're, dri- you're driving down the freeway and you can't, or whatever, you can't avoid seeing something um, that you shouldn't be seeing. Uh, but, and uh, we also see men and women every day. Uh, we look at them, we see them. So none of that itself is, is sinful. But what Jesus is pointing out here is looking uh, with a lustful intent or looking with that longing desire. It's a looking at in order to. Uh, this is in some ways, we have to think about this as the primordial sin or as the first sin as you think about the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3.6. What, what was that first sin of Adam and and Eve, well, the Bible talks about that, that it, it, looked, uh, it looked good. The fruit looked good to Eve, and she, and she desired it, right? And she longed for it, even though God had said uh, it was forbidden, right? So this is a sense of a longing for something that's been forbidden by God. And in that case, for Eve, it was a longing, a desiring, wanting to be like God uh, in disobedience to his word. So it's looking, desiring, lusting after that which is forbidden. Here's the thing, whether by man, in this case, that Jesus gives as an example, or by a woman, uh, whether for a man uh, or for a woman. And at this point, I think it's important this passage is so helpful for us because the church probably in some ways uh, in our country and elsewhere, there, there may be truth to the fact that the church needs to repent uh, of its preoccupation with homosexual sin uh, while neglecting heterosexual sin. I think that's probably true, don't you? There's times when the church, and uh, in rightly condemning uh, the sin uh, and the, uh, of the practice of homosexuality and a homosexual desire that's all sinful before the Lord, and, and the church needs to be clear about that, and in America, and all that's been going on the last 30, 40 years, that's all true. Uh, but uh, the problem is that the church has to also faithfully proclaim that it's not simply homosexual sin and homosexual desire that is displeasing to the Lord, uh, but it's uh, the look of, look of lust for, for, for anyone, whether it's a homosexual lust or heterosexual lust. How often uh, might we hear homosexuality condemned, but never a word about sinful looks simply, lust? and uh, thoughts and desires. And uh, this is what Jesus is speaking about. Now, it's important at this point to see uh, the Bible is not condemning desire itself, but sinful desire. There is such a thing in the Bible as a disordered desire. 
the Bible does not condemn longing, but it condemns sinful longing. Now, how do we know that? Well, we know it this way. Uh, because uh, if, for instance, we were to turn to a passage like Matthew 13, uh, verse 16, we would, read, we would read this. But blessed are your eyes, says Jesus, uh, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. So the prophets long to see all that is ours in, in Christ. Do you know what the word for longed is there? It's the same word. It's that longing, that, that uh, it's translated here as lustful intent because it's clearly in the context of sin. But it's the same word. The prophets longed or desired uh, to have what you have in the gospel. In 1 Peter 1.12, we looked at this a couple months ago. Remember, the angels... Uh, desire or long to look into the things of grace and salvation. Same word they longed after. Uh, it's a word used of uh, men in 1 Timothy 3.1 when it talks about it's a, it's a good thing uh, to desire to be an elder. That is, it's a good thing to, to long for strongly to serve the Lord as an elder in the church. And... Uh, and then, of course, we have a passage like Luke 22, verse 15, uh, which says this about Jesus. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. And so the Bible says there's a, uh, there's a godly, God-honoring longing. It's the same word that used here, uh, in this context of adultery, is clearly sinful, right? It's a lustful intent. But there's a desire itself, desire itself. A strong longing is not sinful. In fact, believers, prophets, angels, Jesus himself had that desire to serve God faithfully. But here, the Bible says, a look, a longing is an accessory to sin, that is, longing for what God has forbidden and what we know God's word has commanded us not to long for. Now, in a proper setting, of course, the Bible tells us, in a proper setting of covenant marriage, there is a proper sexual uh, desire. And that is proper in the context of covenant marriage. There should be longing and desire in marriage. But that is its proper, God-given, God-honoring covenant context. But outside of that, the Bible says, it is a lustful intent, that is, it is a desire and longing to do that which is forbidden and displeasing to the Lord. Now, how serious is this? Um, what Jesus says begins with a look, uh, but involves simply uh, the longings of the heart for that which God has forbidden, here in the context of sexual sin and adultery. Well, this is how serious this is, says Jesus, verse 29. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better, says Jesus, it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Into hell. Whether it's eye, hand, a look, a touch, 
Deal with it now, says Jesus. Deal with it radically. Uh, as someone has said, uh, resist uh, beginnings. Now, both of these verses speak of something causing us to sin. It's the word from which we get the word scandal uh, or scandalize. If your right eye scandalizes you, it means to, um, to lead you, to lure you uh, into sin. This Greek word was used for the, uh, the bait stick that someone would use in a trap or a snare, right? So it's what, it what, it's what lures the animal um, into the trap, and then when, when, that, when that animal's brought in, like that. There's things like that in your life, says Jesus. You need to deal with them decisively and immediately. It's the same word, actually, scandalon, that's used of the cross in 1 Corinthians 1, that to the unbeliever, uh, the cross of Jesus is a stumbling block. They stumble over it, right, in their sin. Uh, but here, it means causing to sin or luring to sin. And Jesus simply says, take drastic uh, action in this uh, regard. Matthew 18 helps us out here. Matthew 18, 7. Woe to the world, says Jesus, for temptations to sin. For it's necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you, says Jesus, to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes uh, to be thrown into the hell of fire. Now, what Jesus is not saying here is that you are literally to remove your right eye because if it's seeing that is causing you to sin, you remove your right eye, you still got your left eye, right? You're still, you're still, you're still seeing. Um, and if Jesus is meaning here that we are literally to destroy uh, the parts of our body that lead us into sin... Uh, we wouldn't be around very long, right? If Jesus was saying, you know, destroy whatever part of your body that's leading you to sin, well, we'd be losing parts all the time, right? And we wouldn't be around very long. Jesus isn't saying engage in destroying your, your body that God has created good. But he is saying, according to Matthew 18, uh, woe to the world for temptations to sin. That there are things in our life that are stumbling blocks that, that lead us, that lure us into sin. And, and, and when there's, those things are there, we need to deal with them immediately and decisively. Like maybe the amount of time we are on the internet leads us into sin. Maybe the unfettered access to our smartphone at all times of the day leads us into sin. Maybe being a... Uh, Maybe being on Facebook um, leads us into sin. Maybe being in a alone in a hotel room leads us to sin. There are accessories to sin. There are other people who perhaps wear clothing that entices others to look lustfully, whether it's a man or a woman. There are, of course, producers in our country of pornography that entices people to sin. There are advertisements for, for vehicles on, on, on commercials, uh, which 
uh, use men and women in, in, sexual, um, uh, in sexual ways leading us to sin, which promote these things. And Jesus says, you need to remove them. You need to remove them from your life. If you have these things in your life that, that lead you, that cause you to sin, you need to remove them. And you need to do it now. Because if you don't, says Jesus, uh, you are on the path to destruction. And it's the same path that uh, James laid out for us when we went through the book of James some time ago. Uh, He lays it out for us in James chapter 1. It goes like this, but each person is tempted, remember what he said, when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. So our problem is not outside of us. Our problem is not other people. Our problem is not how we grew up. Our problem, the Bible says, is inside. We're lured and enticed by our own desire. And then desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. And so that's why Jesus, uh, that's why Jesus graciously, uh, mercifully, uh, here in the Sermon on the Mount, tells us that, that it all starts, it all starts within, all starts with a look, all starts with the desires of the, of the heart. And if there's anything that leads you to that in your life, oh, you need to, you need to remove it quickly. This is serious business. How do we know that? Well, Jesus in this passage tells us, listen, this life is not all there is. Right? He says there is eternity in heaven or hell. For it is better, he says, that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. In other words, it's, it's better. Uh, uh, you have to remember, says Jesus, that, that whatever happening is happening now in your life, that there is an eternity that you need to be conscious of. He also says uh, to them here, he says to us, let nothing, no matter how precious or valuable, keep us from our eternal home. You notice what he said there? It's better, right, that you lose something now than lose life hereafter. It's better that something be torn out of your life now that's leading you to sin than you leave it there and it leads you to destruction And Jesus, of course, is also saying here something serious about sin. He's saying to us that sin wants to to kill us, and it must not be pampered because it really really wants to lead us uh, to death. John Owen, uh, the Puritan, said this, Be killing sin, or it will be killing you. Be killing sin, or it will be killing you. Tear it out, says Jesus. Uh, William Hendrickson, Reformed commentator, says this, Sin, being a very destructive force, must not be pampered. It must be put to death. Temptation should be flung aside immediately and decisively. Dilly-dallying is deadly. Don't you like that? Dilly-dallying is deadly. Halfway measures with regard to that which leads us to sin work havoc. The surgery must be radical, Jesus is saying here, right at this very moment, without any vacillation or up and down, the obscene book should be burned, the scandalous picture destroyed, the soul-destroying film condemned, the sinister yet very intimate social tie broken, and the baneful habit discarded. In the struggle against sin, the believer, said Hendrickson, must fight hard. Shadow boxing uh, will will never do. And so... Jesus is the only one in whose light we can understand this law. The seventh commandment, uh, adultery, uh, is, is committed in the heart before it's ever committed externally. There are accessories to sin. And simply the last thing we need to understand here is Jesus says that we ourselves must not lead others into sin. 
That is what this passage is talking about. As Jesus goes on to talk about the seventh commandment, verse 31, he says, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. That's from Deuteronomy uh, 24, verse 1. It talks about a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Jesus is continuing his authoritative teaching here on the seventh commandment. And again, Deuteronomy 24 does mention a certificate of divorce. But again, the scribes and Pharisees had taken a provision of the law of God and twisted its interpretation. We see this later, for instance, in, uh, in Matthew 19, where they come to Jesus to ask him a question. And the Pharisees, Matthew 19:3 came to him and tested him, tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife uh, for any cause? Uh, And uh, Jesus answers them, of course, no. uh, In the beginning, God made them male and female. And then verse 6, so they're no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let man not separate. And they said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? And he said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And you see here, divorce, Jesus is saying, was permitted uh, for sexual immorality in a world of sin. But the plan from the beginning uh, was for one man, one woman of lifelong faithfulness. That's how it was from the beginning. And we know this is serious business because after Jesus says that, uh, there in Matthew 19, the disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, that is lifelong, they said, it's better not to marry. (laughs) When they got a hold of what Jesus was teaching, that, wait a minute, this calls for commitment. Well, why would they say something like that? Well, because the scribes and Pharisees had taken what Moses had said and said, well, you know, they had a very loose understanding of uh, how easy it is to commit adultery. Well, Moses said, we can, we can write a certificate of divorce, and so, um, and so we, can, we can do this. And they took divorce and adultery, uh, or they took divorce very, uh, very lightly. And Jesus is saying, no, uh, permitted only in the case of sexual immorality, uh, and to correct their, their understanding. And so back to Matthew 5.32, the point here is that like the scribes and Pharisees who think divorcing a wife is a small matter, uh, they need to understand that they are sinning uh, and themselves serving as accessories uh, to sin. That is, if someone simply uh, uh, divorces his wife, Jesus is saying, for less than uh, sexual immorality, you're divorcing your wife in an unbiblical way, and then your, your wife who has been divorced unbiblically, if she remarries, uh, you are making her commit adultery. That is, you are exposing her to adultery. And the person who marries her is committing adultery because the initial, the initial breaking of the marriage bond was unbiblical and unfaithful to the Lord. You are serving as an accessory to sin. It's like the lawyer in Beaumont who uh, has in front of his office there in Beaumont a sign that says, uh, quick divorce. Can you imagine that? A lawyer advertising to the community to maybe uh, you know, a husband and wife struggling in their marriage, uh, come here and I will get you a quick divorce. That's serving as an accessory 
to sin. You're encouraging people to consider divorce. You're encouraging them. You're leading them. You're, you're causing them to sin. And that's what the scribes and Pharisees were doing because they really did believe, yes, you can divorce your wife for really anything. You just need to give her that certificate. And Jesus says, no. That's not how it was from the beginning, except for sexual immorality where there's been this breaking of the marriage bond. No. You are serving as an accessory to sin. Notice what Jesus says. Well, this, this man who does this makes her commit adultery, or it's better, exposes her to commit adultery. He is serving as someone who is not encouraging her, but as someone who is leading her, causing her in that sense to sin. And so Jesus is saying, uh, we ourselves must not serve as an accessory to sin in this matter. That is, we should not ourselves be causing others to sin. Here, uh, causing adulterous relationships to mushroom. Unbiblically divorcing your wife, uh, someone else marrying her, though she's unbiblically divorced, that person committing adultery, and so forth and so forth and so forth, and so on and so on and so on, because of the beginnings of unfaithfulness to the Lord. Well, how are we accessories to sin? Well, Jesus uh, points this out in another passage of Scripture when his disciples say to him uh, at one point, they see little children coming to him, and they say, well, what, we, don't, we don't need these little kids around. And Jesus says, no, no, bring them to me, because for such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And then Jesus says this in Matthew eighteen four: whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives uh, one such child in my name receives me. And then he says this, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better, hear that language? It should remind us of the Sermon on the Mount. It would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin. If you serve, says Jesus, as an accessory to sin, if you are, if you are uh, encouraging others to sin, here it's in the case of adultery, an unfaithful uh, husband who divorces his wife and exposes her to adultery, he is an accessory to sin. He's encouraging her to sin in this matter. And in this case, in Matthew 18, Jesus says, if you, if you, if you, um, if you lead one of these little ones astray, causing a little child to, to sin, it's better, says Jesus, that a millstone would be wrapped around you and you be drowned in the depths of the sea. This is a serious matter. How do we lead children to sin? Well, by bad example, uh, in word or in deed, parents can cause their children to sin. Bad example, in word and deed, church members can cause little children to sin in their midst. Uh, teaching children that, um, you know, uh, faith in Jesus or walking with Jesus, oh, that's not really a big deal. Being faithful to Him, obeying Him, well, that's not really a big deal. Uh, leading them to sin. The Apostle Paul thought this was an important matter. He put it in the letter to the church in Corinth. You'll remember when they were having all sorts of difficulty and infighting and um, jealousies and so forth. Uh, they weren't thinking about each other at all. And then he was talking about food offered to idols. You remember the Apostle Paul said this, therefore, if 
Food makes my brother stumble. I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. I do not ever, says the Apostle Paul, want to be the cause of stumbling uh, in another believer's life. Never want to lead them into sin. I do not want to be, says Paul in that passage, a scandalon. Same word that is used here. I don't want to cause my brother to stumble, my sister to stumble. That is, I don't want to put anything before them that leads them, draws them, entices them to disobey the Lord. Because that, of course, is opposite of what we're called to do in Hebrews 10 as believers. Remember that passage? Spur one another on to love and good deeds, not to serve uh, as an accessory to sin. And if we are an accessory to sin, if we have accessories to sin in our life, Jesus says they must be dealt with immediately and quickly. They must be put, put away. Think about it this way. Imagine, imagine you've got a friend or a family member who's in a, a 1,500-meter race or something like that. Your family member is running. You come down to the track. Uh, you're coming there, everyone presuming you're coming there to cheer them along, and uh, as you're alongside of the track there, as they're running the race, instead of cheering them on, every hundred meters, you're running out in front of them, uh, putting up a gate, uh, putting out a tripwire, you know, uh, digging a hole, uh, (laughs) and then running back to the edge uh, of the track. No, the Bible says we are to spur one another on to love and good deeds. We are not to serve as a stumbling block. Uh, to others, causing them to fall. It would be better, says Jesus, to take out of our life everything, uh, everything that is leading us into this path of sin, better to take it out now and immediately rather than to leave it there and have it lead us down the path uh, of destruction. So as Jesus continues to help us understand the heart of these uh, commandments. He tells us here that the commandment to not commit adultery, it begins with a look. It begins with a desire in the heart, a disordered desire. Instead of a desire to please the Lord in all things, it's a desire for that which he has forbidden. And there are things in our life, says Jesus, there are things sometimes in our life that, that lead us to sin, that, that uh, contribute to that sin. And uh, that, and that, and that we pamper and we keep in our life when really Jesus says they, they need to be removed. And then sometimes we ourselves might even serve to cause the stumbling of another. And this, says Jesus, is what this commandment uh, is all about, that we are to uh, serve not to be a stumbling block to others, but in fact, uh, that we might honor him in all things, beginning with the desires of our heart. And so let us pray that the Lord would give us those desires, not for that which is forbidden, not that which is dishonoring to him, uh, but a proper ordered desire to please our God who has loved us, saved us in his son. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for his teaching. We thank you, Lord, that he does not allow us to simply take the Bible and to, to leave it upon the surface of our life, but he He takes the sixth commandment and he speaks about anger in the heart and he takes the seventh commandment and speaks about the the looks and the thoughts and the desires deep within uh, that no one else can see uh, but you. And so, Lord, we pray tonight that uh, because of the cross, because of the work of the Lord Jesus and his love for us and his giving himself for us on the cross, 
Uh, Lord, that we might see that all that is within us that is displeasing to you, that are disordered desires and longings, Lord, that Jesus has come uh, to take those uh, sinful desires out of our heart, to renew us, uh, and instead place there within a desire to be pleasing to you, to walk in your ways, uh, to honor you in our life, not only in what we do, but in what we think and in what we say. And in what we love, give us, Lord, we pray, new affections, affections that long to serve you, long to serve the Savior, because we have come to see you in all your glory, power and might, mercy and grace towards sinners like us who take sinners and sinful desires, change them, renew them so that they might be desires and longings for you and for you alone. Help us, Lord, we pray tonight to again see the glory of the Savior as he searches us out inside and out, that we might then run to the cross for cleansing, renewal, and forgiveness. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.